0: Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to We Earth Radio. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I am excited to have someone to talk about bodies and movement and dancing. Today, her name is Arawana Hayashi, and she is a dancer, choreographer, teacher, and she's trained in both Japanese and Western art forms. And from her very early career's inception, her work as an artist and meditation practitioner has been intertwined with innovations in community building and education. Since the 1970s, Arawana's focus has been on using nonverbal. Collective Improvisational Methods to Increase Personal Presence and Group Performance. Arwana is a founding member of the Presencing Institute. Arwana, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Michael.
0: So great, I've been so excited to have a dancer on. Uh, It's just really my pleasure. And you have a brand new book, Social Presencing Theater, The Art of Making a True Move. So okay. let's just start out there. What is social presencing theater?
1: You know, Michael, the name itself more or less tells you what it is, that it's um, social in that it almost all of the practices, and it is a set of embodiment practices, and almost all of them are, uh, are practiced in groups with others. There are some that you can do for your own personal embodied presence practice, and some two-person conversations, but many of them have to do with what we call the social body, the collective body. Presencing is a made up word um, that was uh, sort of first made its appearance with with Otto Scharmer, who is the uh, kind of thought leader of the Presencing Institute and the author of Theory U, which is a change theory. Um, And our work is very closely aligned to that particular approach to social change. And so the word itself is a combination of the word presence, to be present, and the fact that each of us is, you know, we each have our, our own sense of presence, which is very communicative. It's very radiating how each of us pierce in, in our life at any moment. So this sense of being present and also acknowledging our presence and the presence of others. Um, And then it's that word is combined with sensing. That much of our work is about the sense perceptions, actually trusting in what we see, what we hear, and what we feel and recognizing that oftentimes, we're just, or most of the time probably, we're filtering our experience through our concepts, our opinions, our judgments, our assumptions, whatnot, our likes and dislikes. And in this work, we're emphasizing being present and celebrating our sense perceptions in particular, this sense of body uh, feeling, uh, the knowing of the body. Theater, the root of the word theater um, means a place for beholding. It a place in which something becomes visible. So thea is associated with being visible in the same way that the word theory, same root, makes something more visible. So we're not talking about theater as an acting or um, even theater improv, but referring to the fact that bodies and groups of bodies are highly visible. So when we enact a movement or the body makes a body shape, we see it. And it the shift from um, in movement particularly with groups of movement, is both felt and seen. So theater basically means that we're using this embodied presence as our uh, material or our medium in terms of understanding what is um, healthy social change. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's beautiful. I I, I use the word presencing a lot in my work and I, I suspect it came from Theory U from Otto's work. Uh, It's become part of uh, my own, you know, just vocabulary. But what I love about it is it's the verb. It's Mm -hmm. not about a destination. It's about, oh, I'm presencing. Oh, I'm presencing because I have to presence again. It's not somewhere I was or somewhere I need to get to. And it allows for a kind of opening to happen. Oh, what am I presencing now? Or, yeah. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah. So I love that aspect of it.
1: Yeah, that's really a, a wonderful thing to think about. That in in a funny way, the present moment, right? Like nowness or the present moment is always an unfolding. Mm-hmm. And as you say, it's, there's movement in, in that.
0: Yeah. 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 Tell us a little bit of you've had quite a journey uh here from the 70s, dancing in different styles and uh uh, doing a lot of social work right from the very beginning, can you just share with us a little bit about your your journey
1: mm. so um, it 's a you know i 'm reflecting a little that in the really as as early as the late 1960s i um, I was interested in I mean, I, I was trained as a child in dance, in all sorts of things that one could
0: <laughs> take You started dance. at five, I think, right? Yeah, in,
1: in Ohio, <laughs> which meant you did ballet and tap and acrobatics and whatnot, <laughs> that kind of um, suburban dance school. And then later, more seriously, uh, in the ballet. But I really wasn't, you know, this was in the 50s and this was way before you know, little Asian girls wearing glasses could consider being ballet dancers. So, um, you know, in Ohio. <laughs> so uh, eventually, you know, I, my parents thought this wasn't such a great idea. And it wasn't until uh, again, in college that I picked up dancing, but primarily I'd been dancing my, you know, since I was a child. Um, but in the in the late 1960s, early 1970s, I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And um, and the the mayor of Boston at the time, who was Kevin White, he had an office of cultural affairs. Maybe that still exists, I don't know, in Boston. And during the summers of the late 60s and early 70s, when there was so much un. A racial unrest after Dr. King was murdered. And at that time, he, they Boston had started something called Summer Thing, which was a summer gathering of performers. All of the, we saw all these wonderful rock performers during that time, uh, but also neighborhood work. And just by some good coincidence, I had a job I got a job directing a little group of young pe- people in da- in a little dance troupe that toured in all these neighborhoods of Boston, when, which were very um, kind of ethnic-specific, you know, the Italian neighborhoods and the Irish neighborhoods and African Black neighborhoods, Hispanic neighborhoods. So it was a really interesting way of trying to bring culture, use arts and um performing arts and visual arts is a kind of way of bringing a community um, together and making it possible for people to actually be with one another in this way. And so I think that's the, that was the link for me between dance, not just as a personal practice, which I loved, and which was probably life-saving in a way uh, for me as a young person, um, but also that it had to do with how to work with communities and bring communities together. And then I did a lot of work in schools in those early days with kids and um, in arts and education. So I think that was the, the link. And then for many years, I didn't work in communities and worked back in the theater more and took up Japanese court dance, which is, it's just been described as excruciatingly leisurely. So it has a <laughs> very select audience of people that would be willing and interested to in this art form. When I met Otto Sharmer and the Presencing Institute, it started to come back. Even before that, it was pivotal in terms of being able to understand that social change, that leadership, that group group work could be nurtured and could be supported by uh, this kind of movement work. It was really very uh, auspicious coincidence for me. We could bring not only contemplation and movement uh, and art making into communities and organizations and institutions that were open-minded and sort of willing to try this out.
0: Often a hard sell. I brought five rhythms into organizations (laughs) back in the 80s, and it was a very hard sell, particularly in the United States. Easier in Europe.
1: Yeah, in Europe and Latin America. Yeah. It's still, still, I don't, social presencing theater is not particularly lively in the US still as it is in Europe and Latin America. So, I understand. Why do you think that is, Michael?
0: I think it has to do with what you were talking about in the Japanese formal court dances, the excruciating slowness. (laughs) And we're in a very fast paced, traumatized type A behavior culture. So people have a hard time slowing down. They might have to feel their feelings if they slowed down too much, which Hmm. is more than anywhere else in, in the world that I've worked in the US you know feelings and work are not something that's changing now especially with Otto's work and and also Peter Senge's work uh that's changing but that's that's my thought on it is that and and even teaching meditation which is now taking taking on more you know when people really get into the stillness they often won't continue to do their meditation, mm, mm. You know, I find that a lot, and why I feel that as a trauma therapist, why I feel that is that when we actually get still, we create more inner space and allow mm. the fragmented parts of ourselves to come up, and mm. then because it's safe for them to come up, but then we go, "Oh my God, you know I can't deal with that got." wild ponies in my head and and uh, beetles under my skin and you know Mm -hmm. all this starts to happen and i think people just have a hard time going to that deeper place that is very much exemplified in what i've seen of japanese dance Mm -hmm. that flowing slow you know kind of movement that's brought in there what Mm -hmm. do you think how does that relate to your your experience in that i'm not i've just seen a little bit of it
1: Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that so much, but I Japanese court dance is very ceremonial. But within, as a as a practitioner of it, within the formality of it, there is an actual experience of openness and freedom. But as you say, I think it takes a little settling down into it, both as a performer, but also as an audience. A sense of letting more kind of spaciousness and sense of like nothing, nothing exciting is going to happen here. Uh, it needs that kind of uh, settledness, um, in the way that a meditation practice would also. You know, that, that right. I think it's very perceptive what you're saying. That once we settle down a little bit, the level of anxiety and restlessness and is very apparent. You know we're, we're and we're addicted to uh, damping that down by all sorts of habits and addictions, some healthy and some not, probably. But that kind of settling down, and, and I think that's well, it, it that might also pertain a little bit to our work. And but but I do say that when I started working with Otto and and Peter Senge, which was i don't know 17 15 years ago i can't remember the idea of bringing mindfulness into the work environment and any an embodiment into that was very it was it was very uh, like new and also people wondered what you know what is this and that kind of thing and they would I say in the book, people often just had to go to the bathroom or they suddenly had an important call to make during the time when we were going to do a little bit of mindfulness or movement. and it really was it was people like Peter and like uh, Otto that because they had some reputation of within the world of organizational change, they became real. I often say I was under their wings because people would say, well, we paid for this. If they're gonna do it, if if they are introducing it, maybe we could give it a try kind of thing. But there was way more resistance and we were also very much like it's optional. If here's something you could do, it's quite optional. We do it before the program actually starts or something like that. But now, Michael, 15 years later, this is such an integral part of our work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Both the sitting practice, some mindfulness, some awareness practice, as well as the social presencing theater. It's very much integrated in. And of course, it, there's still resistance and um, now Presencing Institute is working quite a bit in the United Nations. And, you know, this is there's resistance needless to say. And yet, it's almost as though everyone, people have tried so many things and tried to talk and tried to think and talk and think and talk and think that maybe a little stillness, maybe a little embodied knowing, um, you know, is not is not so threatening. Maybe we could try a little of that. So I do think things are shifting. Um, so that there's more openness to to what to different ways of knowing that it's not just head knowing, but there's as you said you work with um, emotional intelligence and social emotional um, learning, and then there's embodied knowing as we as you know from your uh, work in five rhythms and we have that uh, that kind of confidence that and there is such a thing as embodied knowing <laughs> and that it's valuable in the conversation to bring the body along to the conversation so uh, yes i think there's more openness is, certainly in our work more so than there was 15 years ago also i think we're getting more skilled at it so that we don't we we learn to be bilingual and speak the language of the context that we're in um, rather than seeming as though we landed from another planet.
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually retired from the corporate work twelve fifteen years ago. So meditation was just really becoming part of the things that organizational development people brought into the to the organizations. I was surprised you didn't dance because you were at Naropa, right?
1: Yes, yes, yeah. i
0: and so you studied with uh chogam trumpa rinpoche and something you said i just the focus that he had on an enlightened society Mm -hmm. meditation was the access i can't remember exactly how you said it meditation was the access to an enlightened society if we ever needed an enlightened society it's it's now (laughs) so i'm wondering with your presencing work with otto and peter and and the, uh, the large-scale, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm working with Thomas now about large-scale trauma integration work, but the mm-hmm. large-scale presencing, I forgot mm-hmm. how large, but Otto's done some huge thousands of people. And have you been involved in that also?
1: Um, because we have a very strong online presence, Michael, and, we, and that was so with online MOOCs, with massive open online courses, uh, through the MIT uh, platform, Be, even before we had um, the pandemic arrive, there was already quite a lively, extended, you know, community, yes. Mm-hmm. And then with the pandemic, of course, that has continued. And, and we have been able even to bring our social presence in theater work um, Online, which I was very skeptical about in the beginning, but mm-hmm. after two years, I've <laughs> changed my tune, and I realize how how much we can actually feel our social field, the social quality of wakefulness and um, connection online. I guess we've all, we're all learning this, and of course, so much appreciate the accessibility that both geographic and Financial that people can come on to online programs and mo- much of presencing institute's offering is is free of charge. You know people can, so I think that's been one of this sense of really making learning accessible um, has been one of the um, kind of one of the areas of development with presencing institute and. And therefore, yes, we've all been able to to participate in these large global gatherings and global courses, which has been a wonderful um, opportunity to just you know be a global person and be in conversations and recognize how you know across sectors and across geographies, the kind of question of what is an inner life and an enlightened society whether you call it that, just, just a good future, for instance, or a healthy emerging future, what is that relationship and how do we nurture that? How do we build containers for that to happen? So the, this teaching that I received around enlightened society really had to do with recognizing the basic wisdom, basic good, goodness of human beings, and trying to see that in people rather than to see always their, you know, irritating faults and flaws, which we all have, right? But actually trying to notice. Not me, I don't have any
0: irritating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're an
0: exception. <laughs> I, I, you know, movement, enlightened society and and being in a body i mean i used to say that i work with heads on sticks the only reason they have bodies is to carry their head to the next meeting yes yes and, <laughs> and you know especially having worked with gabrielle for so long you know it just always was amazing to me but this move towards a an enlightened society talk about how movement can deepen our connection with other people and and make us a more humane and just society because you know in a sense i'm movement seeing you over there is movement you know that's that's a very real not that all of us look that way but when we do it transcends the boundaries of separation I'm not sure I made the question clear. It was more about how can movement deepen that interconnectedness, I guess, is what the question is I'm asking.
1: Um, in our work, it's, it's both movement in terms of the body, but because we're working with others, it also has to do with how, we, how, um, how inclusive we are in terms of um, the space. So um, it means, for instance, if there are seven or five or 20 people in one of these practices, that as an individual, one feels grounded in one's body and on the earth's body, that that we keep that connection between the mother earth's body and our body in terms of groundedness. But that we also have this sense of Expansive open awareness of the others in our, let's say, social body, in our team, in our family, in our organization, that we have a feeling that collectively we're a living being. And that that living being, collectively, whether we're talking about seven people, 20 people, or hundreds of people, Mm -hmm. that living being has a a longing to be healthy. So if we take one of our practices, just our 20 minute dance, and you ask people to to do a little bit of really uh, from for the most part, unstructured movement and stillness, exploring a balance between doing and non-doing, I've never seen anybody try to make themselves sick or try to freak themselves out or make themselves more miserable and more tense in 20 minutes, given that they can do whatever they want, more or less. And I'm convinced this is true for teams as well and organizations that they don't get up in the morning and intend to be to make a miserable, um, divisive, fear-based, day with others and yet people do right we get up and we make choices in speech and movement and thought that keeps us in in creating social fields creating social situations which are not conducive to um, innovation for one thing they're not create they're not creative and they're not even kind they they disconnect from basic compassion for other people, a feel for care for not only people, but the planet itself. So there's something about the movement practice that gets underneath all of the sort of conceptual, it should be like this. It's like this. I believe that they believe this, this is not right. This is right. All of this business that goes on in terms of our mental um, what did you call them? The wild pony work,
0: mind. <laughs> wild stallion. We're, we're
1: trying to sink under that a little bit to actually what on the heart level really connects us. And that this sense, I know that you do work in, in trauma. Um, what is it that's actually healing? What is it that's actually healthy? What is it that actually we want for our grandchildren and their grandchildren in the future? And it's not, and so there's something about the way people connect with one another when they do these movement practices that, that, that brings out this, it, it, some, it brings out also stuck places where people you know, get stuck, but it also brings out this sense of a shared um, knowing and a shared caring for whatever the experiences that they're creating and it's very much tied to creation, to co-creating, to to what to living as a creative process. And oftentimes people don't feel that way. They go to work, or they they don't think this is this is this day is an opportunity to create social reality. They don't think like that. They think somebody else out there is creating social reality for me. But that's in fact not true. You know, we're. We each of us contributes to the co-creation of this society. So it's the work I think in movement helps us see what a collective creative process is like. It's just the practices themselves are geared towards that. And um, without much judgment about what would be, you know, what, what people make is what they make. And then it's a reflective tool. So what was that like? Like, what kind of choices did we make? And what happened there? So it it fosters a dialogue and a conversation which can more deeply understand or feel systems, whether you think it's the body-mind system or the social system or an organizational system, that in the end, it is about systems change and it is about in my language this enlightened society or this good human society on this in a healthy place on this good earth and can we contribute how yeah. can we contribute
0: yeah that's brilliant i love that i love the i love the attending to the three bodies the body body the earth body and the social body We don't normally even get to attending to the personal body, let alone thinking about, wait a minute, I'm in a system standing on the earth that is a system and I'm in a system that is interconnected and interdependent. We operate from the classical Newtonian model of objects in a world of objects, which I think a big change that's happening is quantum social change. I don't know if you know Alex Rent's work, but you probably would really like that on quantum social change. I think that's the name of the book that he did. And then from a climate perspective or Earth's perspective, Karen O'Brien's work, you probably have, have heard her work, looking instead of looking at climate change from a political or a technological problem to know it's a relationship problem, mm-hmm. actually. And the other thought I was having about, you know, when we're talking about the field and you mentioned the aspect of trauma that keeps us separate. Why does it keep us separate? Because we have fragmentation of frozen past that is embodied Mm -hmm. and is taking a lot of energy to hold it down, uh, as well as a lot of energy to have pushed it down in the first place. So when we're in a social field, that allows for the integration of the frozen past when we recognize ourselves in the movement with others Mm -hmm. that that allows for integration because integration comes from awareness not from fixing something or -hmm. trying to change something but actually by bringing awareness to that thing that uh that we, we we would call a dysfunction when in fact it's something that we just don't understand. That's serving very much a function in protecting us, or keeping us safe, or dealing with our early wounding, attachment wounding, or or uh, ancestral or familial or cultural wounding. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for me, movement is so important in that because it it puts me in connection with. And if I can feel that movement in you and feel it in me, automatically it's going to bring up those things that I I didn't feel safe enough to deal with at the time that they happened. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, I think so. Very much so. I don't have uh, Michael, any background um, or training much training in um, in psychology um, in general and uh, I so appreciate that there are m- many people within our social presence in theater practitioners who do have work um, in that, in either around trauma or other, um, and particularly around um, kind of racial and cultural um, trauma or we have many of us, many of our practitioners have worked with Arnie Mandel on um, his wonderful work, and so um, there's, there's a wonderful kind of way of, you know, because we're working primarily in in institutional settings, um, it, it, I think sometimes our work can be a bridge where perhaps it's not an intimate, it's a work setting, they're there for capacity building generally, so it's, it's not perhaps a setting in which um, the emphasis is on um, the individual healing. But there is, um, but we do try to build containers where whatever a person is experiencing um, is held with kindness and, and with um, clarity. Um, and that, in that way, it's almost as though it, it, because there's very little um, intervention in our work. The, a lot of it is that the facilitator will set up the instructions and the framework and kind of why you might be interested in doing this. And then something happens, they practice, and then there's a hosted conversation, very lightly hosted conversation at the end. But there, the, the facilitator never intervenes in the, pra- in the pra- practice itself. So whatever happens during the practice from what we call sculpture one, which is where you begin to sculpture two at the end, that is a, that's, that, there's never any intervention by an outsider. Whoever, the, whatever kind of team is journeying from sculpture one to sculpture two, that's their journey. And then they can reflect on that in some kind of conversation after like, so I think, I think partially it's this, this feeling uh, that, um, you know, that certainly within our context, that shifts can happen that then, and, and people, as you say, become aware more aware of their own um, journeys, their own need for support for certain uh, aspects of their life, uh, and so that's a, it's a certain kind of in a container. I think that's built within a certain safety that then then later people can say, "Oh yeah, I could really work on myself in terms of this." You know, seeking a, a, a meditation path or a psychotherapeutic path, or a, you know, s- some support that they need. So I, I sometimes feel that we um, we open a door for this for many people who have, who don't have much background. You know, they don't have much experience in mm-hmm. um, in inner work. Uh, um, in 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 organizations, as you say, they're they're not there, they're there to work,
0: <laughs> right?
1: And yet we can bring in a little bit of this, uh, that then opens a door for people, which I you know I, I think is is something that we've noticed probably in these last few years.
0: Uh, well, I think the, you use the word we, you know we we build capacity within the system. Mm-hmm. and you know the awareness in the system there is the individual awareness but there's awareness in the system so when we're talking about capacity you can't not if the system has a greater capacity i i think that then we have a greater capacity i i work a lot around stress with people and teach courses around stress and meditation but i particularly you know when we talk about stress it's one of those words that doesn't mean anything. It's like saying I'm sick, right? Mm. Oh, you're sick. Do you have a cold or a stage four cancer or COVID? What, you know, what does that mean? When I say I um, I'm stressed or I'm so, you know, I'm I'm de- you know, all of these words around stress. What I'm what I'm really saying underneath is something is too much for my Mm -hmm. current capacity to meet at this time Mm -hmm. so if we uh create more capacity in a system we automatically create more capacity i believe in the individual unless they're just frozen in time completely
1: Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. you know when i practiced when i did one of your practices the other night and we should talk a little bit about what sculpture one and sculpture two is and tell people about how that works but that that movement uh, between and then the the stuck uh, uh, process that we go through, so much happened um, mm-hmm. in the system moving, but also in the individuals that were part of that, particularly in the stuck one. You know, mm-hmm. so why don't you tell about some of these uh, processes that you've you've developed and and how they work because they're just they're brilliant.
1: Um. <laughs> So there, there are kind of eight or nine, what we call sort of basic practices, some which I've been doing for decades and decades, and some that were really co-created uh, with Otto Scharmer and others at the Presence Institute that were more directed towards um, these populations in, in institutions. Um, and the, the whole theory you, Uh, methodology has to do with um, a shift from where we are now to what is an emerging future, what is a possibility for innovation and for freshness and for um, a more awareness-based shift. So uh, as you brought up the word awareness, it's a key word in our work this um attending in an open way so in a in the your reference to the stuck practice it's assuming that everybody if they're doing anything has obstacles has challenges has uh, confusions which we're, we're labeling all of that as stuck and sometimes we think that these are the fault of somebody else we have outside forces preventing us from doing something or they can be very much inner that we're aware of inner psychological um, fears or um, kind of feel you know feelings that could be a lack of self-worth or lack of confidence or something that that prevent us from moving forward and in our work, we don't frame this as problematic. We say that in any creative process, there, there, anything worth doing in life, there's going to be obstacles. It's part of a creative process. And that you don't need to feel that it's a problem, particularly. You don't need to dwell on it or outsource it, but try to shift the frame as, ah, this is fantastic. I have a stuck place. So let's see what's going on there. It's a leaning toward whatever it is. And, and in many cases, there's discomfort there, but it's saying, okay, we're just going to lean into that a little bit and listen. If this is, I'm in the middle of this. I'm going to listen. And there are certain things about that A, that no one is stuck by themselves. As you said, there's interdependency we're always connected to something, to other people, to other circumstances. So no one is really stuck by themselves. There's a, there's, a, there are forces that keep us from moving forward. And also that stuck is not a sustainable position, that there's nothing in nature that's stuck. So there's yearning to move. There's yearning. There's a, there's a, there's an innate, <laughs> Um innate wisdom that that knows and what it, it is being called to not to unfreezing or unmelting or um unfreezing or or melting or shifting or jumping or wiggling or shaking or whatever it is that is going to move from this stuck shape. So we just embody physically the stuck shape. Not, It's not like psychodrama where we're acting something out. Uh, I'm sure psychodrama is very good, but that's, that's not what we're doing here. It's more that where do the forces feel like they're holding you down? Do they feel like you're pulling you back? Like you have vision, but you can't move your feet or does it feel twisted or does it feel pulled in many directions? You're trying to find an embodied shape for your stuck. excuse me and in in teamwork then we ask a couple of a few other people can you help me feel can you help me be these forces can you help me feel that these forces are actually it's not just about me it's forces of some sort and they can be abstract or they can be very literal and you ask people can you do this without giving them any information about what they are what the Story is, or anything like that. What they feel, you can only tell them where they are, what direction they're facing, and what level they're at. Are they my? Are they my level? Are they taller than me? Or bigger than me? Are they smaller than me? And are they facing or facing away? Or are they close? Do they touch me, or are they far away? So you have to get a feel for where these forces are, just in terms of placement uh, in the space. Okay. Then they make this, what we call this sculpture, social sculpture of uh, their current reality, or let's say in this case, they're stuck. So stuck is a, stuck is a, a noun here. I, <laughs> right. It's a stuck. <laughs> it's, um, it's not, I am stuck. It's, I'm have a stuck. I've been a caretaker of a stuck for a while here. <laughs> it's a, you know, it, I have this relationship with a, with a stuck. So we build a stuck sculpture, right? That's sculpture one. And then we go through what is really what we would call a mini you process, which means that we really lean into, we really really sensefully into it. it, it you know, what does it feel like? What does it look like on the surface? What does it feel, the interiority feel like? We stay, we stay, we stay with this until we let go of any idea of what we think it should be, or what would be a better or desirable solution. We stay until it starts to move. It will not stay there all day, right? Somewhere in the system, it doesn't hold, right? It's not sustainable. It'll start to move. And everybody attends to this living organism, not just their part, but to the organism as it shifts and moves and people change places and the relationships change and whatever until that just goes on for a very short time, minute or so, maybe a few little minutes later, maybe a couple minutes or more until it ends in a sculpture too, it stops somewhere. Now, when it stops, each person can say a phrase or a word that comes out of the sculpture, not what they want to say, but if this sculpture could say something, this living being, this sculpture, social sculpture could say something and it's coming through my voice, what would that be? They say that, then they just have this conversation. What happened? What did we notice? What surprised us? You know, what was the difference between the beginning, sculpture one, and sculpture two? Like, what, that, what does that tell us about this situation? So that's a... Di- <laughs>
0: it's so rich. It's so brilliant. I just love it, Arwana. Um, and it's I want to underline, it's not a performance. And one of the terms that you use that I love is... How do we find the true moves?
1: Right.
0: Can you say a little bit about how you define the true movement?
1: I can. Um, on the cover of the book is a Japanese um, calligraphy. It's a kanji, which is the word uh, ma. And ma is a gap or an interval between things. So, if I'm speaking like this, and this would be a ma. It's a gap, in this case, between two words. So, in our movement practice, the still shapes can be like a ma, in which nothing is happening, and yet they're full of vividness and potential. Right? So the attention is on this open space of not knowing. And when words or gestures arise from that open space of not knowing, that's what I call a true move. Mm -hmm. It's not conceptualized. It's not filtered through what I think and through all of my past knowing habits, education, concepts, assumptions, whatever, it comes out of openness to just this moment. What does this moment actually feel like? What is this experience? And a word can come out of that. So it's it's that's what we call a true move. A gesture can come out of that space. And it has so much genuineness and power, not in a, I don't mean that by an aggressive, a big move, but there's so much truth to it.
0: Authenticity.
1: Authenticity, yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. Beautiful. And so we're we're always kind of invited into that practice mm. um, with social presence in theater. Yeah, the, it's the art of making a true move. It's an art form to be a human being on this planet with others.
0: Uh, Just imagine if we actually lived our life as if it was an art form, which it is, uh, Mm -hmm. that every move and every word. um, You know, I think it was uh, the poet Basho that said, uh, there's no such thing as a throwaway gesture. Like every movement. If we actually were, our life was our art, and we knew that, how would we live our lives that's yes, it exactly it's beautiful and uh, there's one there's well there's many other things i want to talk about and we're getting close to the end of our time but um i one of the terms i really lit up in your book because i use this a lot i don't say it exactly the same way but i call it the original goodness the original mm-hmm. goodness that you were mm-hmm. born with and right. holding that as um a priori to anything else seems to me to be at the ground of the authentic movement. And maybe you can say a little bit about how that can get us back in touch with or how we can see both our own and others. Uh, You don't use original goodness. I I can't remember. Basic. Basic Basic goodness. Yeah, right. Basic goodness. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: It's a fundamental teaching of uh, of Churmbaje who you mentioned before this sense that every being has this innate um, you know innate wisdom, innate kindness, innate courage that it's part of being a human being rather than that people are doomed from the beginning that they're they're. A mess, and then they try to make themselves better. It's a it's a view that our basic nature is not good as opposed to bad, particularly, but is healthy. Let's say Mm -hmm. our basic nature is basically whole and healthy, and then circumstances, you know, uh, happen, and there are lots of fears that cover that over, Um, and then lots of conceptual framework on top of those fears. But that the work itself is about and, and, you know, that's a that's a that's definitely a view and not everybody would hold it. That's uh, even in fact, there's plenty of evidence that would not be the case. However, it is a view that we hold and it is aligned with the presencing. Um, sense of an emerging future, learning from an emerging future. If we thought the emerging future was going to be worse than what we've got now, we wouldn't be really that interested in an emerging future. But there's something about that view that, that, you know, this opening up to possibilities in which compassion and wisdom and courage and sanity is, in fact, manifesting on the planet in in small ways or larger ways. I mean that strength of that conviction or that confidence in that, in that there is such a thing as fundamental well-being and fundamental um, love that we have for this planet and each other. Um, You know, to give up on that would be from for many of us just, you know, giving up on, on life. So it's it's that sense that if we could, you know, that, that this would be something that we could contribute, and, and the the blessing of being able to do it in in this art form and in communities of people that are resonant with that um, is
0: really, um,
1: I mean, I'm I'm very 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 grateful
0: for that. You mean Saint Augustine was was wrong? There's there's no. Uh, uh, original sin <laughs> that no. whole notion is such a great way for a church or establishment to uh collect taxes control people and justify genocide you know i always always think uh, what is this original sin thing if i hold- i know
1: so many people uh uh roman catholic people within my community who are just unbelievably, um, you know, basic good goodness folks.
0: (laughs) That's right. Yeah.
1: Be something, but individual people are so inspiring, no matter what their uh, spiritual traditions or their um, lack of spiritual tradition doesn't matter. Just human beings are so amazing and have done such amazing things on the planet. So
0: (laughs) yeah starting from possibility starting from the place that um you know of original goodness of being good as as a perception even when we don't you know we have thoughts that know that look at look at all the crime and look at all the lies and look at all of this you Mm -hmm. know but but really when you look at that that those have again essentially served uh, something through our lineage that was a survival uh, Mm -hmm. expression that then was taken on as a habitual expression Mm -hmm. but if you're holding a baby you're not worried that it's going to steal your wallet or shoot you (laughs) or anything Mm -hmm. you know you can feel that sense so you know it seems to me if i look at it from Uh, a nature perspective, everything in nature is interconnected and serves everything else Mm. and is in support of life and life wanting to live through us. Mm. At least that's my thought about it. Um, so we're coming to the end here. Any last thing you'd like to say about, uh, your work or something that people, you might want to tell people that, uh, we haven't chatted, I know there's a lot of more things we could talk about, but.
1: Thank you, I really appreciate the opportunity, Michael, to um, have this conversation with you. And um, I, 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 I love to meet people who would be interested in this work and we're uh, very accessible through the Presencing well, website or my own website. So oh, it's um,
0: presencing.com. Or your own website? What is your website?
1: I actually think it's presencing.org, but I might be mistaken.
0: Oh, I, I copied that from somewhere. But uh, if it isn't com, then it's org. <laughs> You'll find <laughs> it. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I don't. Uh, I, uh, and then the my own is just my name. So, okay. yeah, so
0: Arwana Hayashi, A-R-A-W-A-N-A. H-A-Y-A-S-H-I, just like it sounds. And uh, I just want to thank you for the many, many decades of really creative, innovative, leading edge work, and that you're still doing it and working with Otto and the folks at MIT, which is, to me, the leading work on the planet that's happening. So thank you for taking the time to be with us on We Earth Radio.
1: Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate
0: it. Yeah. Let's let's talk again sometime soon. Wonderful. (laughs) We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.